and welcome to Rebel Hearts, a podcast dedicated to the rebel girls and riot girls in the music industry and why they matter. Each episode will feature songs by bands you just need to hear. So if you think you're ready, I will see you in the front. message before you guys start this episode. I'm recording this on August 20th, which is a Sunday. I recorded the episode you're about to listen to uh, last Saturday on August 12th, and I made one minor error. I had talked about the Taylor Swift grope case, and I had said that she was suing for $1 million, which is totally incorrect. She's actually only suing for $1 because she wanted to make a point that this lawsuit was not about the money. It was about raising awareness. So instead of just redoing the whole episode, or editing it out where it sounds super weird. I just wanted you guys to go into this episode knowing that. I apologize that I made that mistake, but I also wanted to correct it so you guys understand what she was really suing for because facts are really important, right? Um, Sorry for the fake news. As an apology, I'm going to make it up to you guys and I'm going to quickly play the song by the band Domesticated, which is the side project of Ethan Luck and Newfound Glory frontman Jordan Pundick. And this song features Haley Williams of Paramore. So I hope you guys enjoy that and I hope you enjoy the episode. Here is What's His Name by Domesticated. <coughs> Hey guys, and welcome back to Rebel Hearts. This is episode 17, and today I'm going to take on a couple of things, but I'm going to focus on the Taylor Swift groping case, mostly because it has now become bigger than it was when I originally first saw it. So I've been following the Taylor Swift sexual assault case for a few weeks now, and I was debating whether I should talk about it or not. Why the debate? Because I don't want this podcast to have any sort of negativity or girl hate, and I have a few issues with Taylor. The first thing is that I truly am someone who thinks her feminism is sheer white feminism. Also, not to mention, I don't support the meaning behind the song Bad Blood, although the music video is really positive with the fact that it showcased a lot of really talented and different women. But I don't support the idea of the song being about tearing down another woman. I also don't believe in the capitalizing of everything. I will always support a smart business decision. I will always support a woman making a career move that puts them in a better position. I do not support the coining of words used in a song such as the sick beat. I am half joking when I say I have avoided talking about Taylor because I have no idea if there's a patent on her name or a trademark and I can get sued just by saying her name. It's really unfortunate too because I do own Taylor Swift's music and I do enjoy it. But overall, despite the things I just stated, I do believe Taylor can do better as she matures and grows. I am always rooting for her anyway. 
But with all that being said, regardless about my feelings on anything I just talked about with her, nobody deserves to be assaulted. I stand behind Taylor and I believe that even people who have their issues with her or whatever they feel towards her should be put on the back burner for this because that is just ridiculous and she is not only being brave, but this is really important to talk about. I fully support and stand by Taylor Swift in this case and I truly believe that anybody should as well. Now that I've opened this up, I'm sure most of you want to know what I'm talking about. I'm going to read this entire Vogue article because it has everything you guys need to know to to catch you up with the case. So let's begin. So this Vogue article is from August 8th. It says, on Monday, Taylor Swift appeared in a Colorado courthouse for the first day of her lawsuit against a radio host she alleges groped her during a concert stop in Denver several years ago. The high-profile case has managed to attract national attention and a crowd of fans from all over the world hoping to catch a glimpse of the music star during the nine-day trial. While day one ended with a jury yet to be selected, Swift is expected to take the stand sometime later this week. For those who are unfamiliar with the suit, here are the details. So then it goes on to say, when did the alleged groping grow take place. It says in 2013, Swift was posing for pictures at a meet and greet with fans before a concert in Denver. During a photo op with radio host David Muller and his girlfriend, Swift alleges Muller reached up her skirt and grabbed her behind. After the incident, Swift immediately alerted her security staff, who removed Muller and his girlfriend from the show and then shared what happened with Muller's radio station, KYGO, which fired him two days later. Then it says, who is suing whom? Muller and Swift are suing each other. In 2015, Muller filed a lawsuit against the singer, accusing her of making false accusations that led to his termination from a $150,000 a year position at KYGO. He's seeking $3 million in damages and compensation. A month after after Muller filed his suit, Swift countersued him for assault and battery. While she's only seeking $1 million in retribution, she says she hopes her lawsuit serves as an example to other women who may resist publicly reliving similar outrageous and humiliating acts. And then there says, is there any evidence? And then it also goes on to continue. During a 2016 deposition, Swift recounted the groping incident, saying he took his hand and put it up my dress and grabbed onto my ass cheek. And no matter how much I scooted over, it was still there. It was not an accident. It was completely intentional. And I have never been so sure of anything in my life. And unfortunately for Mueller, there's a compromising photo of the meet and greet that will be used as evidence in the trial. Even though the photo was later seen sealed in court, TMZ published it back in November. Judge for yourselves. And then it also says, how big of a deal is this going to be in Denver? Big enough that those hoping to see Swift testify during the trial have begun lining up at 6 a.m. outside the courthouse in order to grab one of the 32 seats open to the public, granted on a first-come, first-served basis. An overflowed room with TVs broadcasting in case will also be available for up to 75 more people. And then BBC wrote more about it on August 10th. It says the singer who was responding to questions from Mr. Mueller's lawyer added, he stayed latched onto my bare ass cheek as I lurched away from him. His hand didn't let go. It was a very shocking thing. I had never dealt with something like this before. Miss Swift complained to KYG Go and the station fired Mr. Mueller two days later, which I already said. Mr. Mueller sued the singer saying that Miss Swift's 
allegation cost him his job. She countersued him one month later, describing the groping incident as completely intentional. When Mr. Mueller's lawyer, Gabriel McFarland, asked why her bodyguard did not interfere interfere with the alleged incident happened she said no one could have expected this to happen it had never happened before it was horrifying and shocking she also rejected the assumption that she misidentified mr moeller saying i'm not going to allow you or your client to say i am to blame the 55 year old denies any inappropriate behavior earlier in court when asked if he had grabbed her he said no i did not Miss Swift took the stand the day after her mother gave testimony and described how she wanted to vomit and cry when her daughter told her about the alleged incident. Now, I saw this photo. It's pretty obvious that this is legitimate and that he is literally grabbing her bare butt. So um, I don't know. You guys can probably find the photo on TMZ or you can probably find it on Google now since it's become such a widely known case. So you guys should totally check out that photo because it is totally incriminating and this guy is 100% wrong. And then I'm just going to finally add the few things that Bustle had to say on this on August 10th as well. This article, they did mention Mueller suing Swift back in 2015. The article starts and says, Mueller sued uh, Swift in September of 2015 for slander, according to the Washington Post. Although the claim was thrown out by a judge, the former DJ was allowed to proceed with his suit based on the allegation of torturous interference under the basis that Swift allegedly intentionally tried to get him fired by accusing him of behavior that violated his employment contract. Swift countersued one month later, claiming that Mueller groped her. According to CNN, Mueller denied the allegation and claimed that his palm was facing down. He claimed he touched what seemed to be her ribs during his testimony on Wednesday. People Magazine reports that Mueller's attorney, Gabe McFarland, said in court on Wednesday that Mueller claims Swift cost him his dream job. While Swift is only requesting $1 million, if she is awarded more money than she is requesting, the singer will donate all proceeds to charities dedicated to protecting women from similar acts of sexual assault and personal disregard, according to the lawsuit. Now, while you guys let all that sit, I'm going to play the first song of the episode today by the band Strawberry Runners, and they are from Connecticut. The band got my attention with the fact that they have a banjo and a trumpet in their music because anything with a trumpet, in my opinion, is gold. Hence my love of the band Foxing. Sometimes I play the music I feature for my boyfriend, and he was so excited about this band and told me that no matter what song I put in this episode, it's all awesome. So today's song comes from the 2015 EP, Hatcher Creek, and it is the title track of the same name. So here is Hatcher Creek.
again, that was the song Hatcher Creek by the band Strawberry Runners from their 2015 EP, Hatcher Creek. Continuing on with the Taylor Swift sexual assault trial, I found an article where Taylor talks about why she waited so long to come forth with this, seeing as how this happened in 2013. I found this on romper.com. This is another article that's short enough. I'm just going to read you guys the entire thing and everything in it is super powerful. Testimony has begun in the federal court case against Taylor Swift and the Denver radio personality alleged to have groped the singer during a 2013 meet and greet. And the reason Taylor Swift didn't report her assault is heartbreaking. According to BuzzFeed, the singer's mother, Andrea Swift, told the jury, I did not want this event to define her life. I did not want every interview from this point on to have to talk about it. I did not want her to go through the endless memes and trolls and make her relive that awful moment. Frank Bell, a liaison between Swift and the local radio stations, also testified he shared a photograph of the alleged assault with the DJ's employer rather than the police because it was very embarrassing and humiliating. The DJ, David Moeller, filed a $3 million defamation suit against Swift in 2015, which I keep talking about. Sorry, all these articles have the same content, claiming that he was fired over false allegations that he reached under Swift's skirt and groped her bare buttocks. According to E! News, Moeller's attorney declined romper's request for comment once the incident became public swift filed a countersuit alleging sexual assault the associated press has reported that swift is seeking one million in damages and her goal is to serve as an example for sexual assault victims Mueller claims that he is innocent and no criminal charges have been filed Sadly, if Mueller hadn't sued Swift to begin with, she may have stayed silent on the matter. According to Reuters, uh, Swift's mother testified that after the photo opportunity during which her daughter claimed she was assaulted, the singer thanked Mueller and his girlfriend and concluded, why did I teach her to be so polite? In fact, there is no quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote right way to respond to assault, and it's become common for victims to enter a state of shock afterwards. Feelings of embarrassment are also common, but it's important for victims to know that while their feelings are theirs alone, there's nothing for them to be ashamed of. Groping may not seem like a big deal to some people, especially as it compares to other types of sexual assault, but make no mistake, it counts and should not be downplayed or compared to other types of violent assault. The U.S. Department of Justice defines sexual assault as any type of sexual contact without consent, which means touching various body parts, including the buttocks, with an intent to abuse, humiliate, harass, degrade, or arouse or gratify the sexual desire of any person. By its very nature, sexual assault is less likely to be reported than other crimes because victims are humiliated. Swift should be commended for rising above those feelings in order to show other women that if another person touches them inappropriately, the only one who should be ashamed is the perpetrator. Now, nobody can say that she wouldn't have been subject to the endless cycle of having to talk about this in interviews or be the center of memes and tabloids. The girl wrote songs about heartbreak and still it defines her career, even though she put out an entire album where I believe maybe one song is about a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend. I haven't heard any backlash yet, but I am also not looking for it. But I'm sure there are keyboard warriors out there saying it's not a big deal. And if you're one of them, you're perpetuating rape culture and you're also part of the problem. Just like the Romper article stated, this may seem like it's nothing, but any instance where anyone, not even specific to women, is touched or grabbed without consent, period, let alone up their skirt and on any bare part of their body while they are 
anywhere, including being at work, because yes, even if we don't like to look at it this way, meet and greets is still a part of the job. Even if the artists love doing it and it's their idea, it's just flat out not okay. I really, really couldn't care less if you don't like or don't care about Taylor Swift. This is a young woman who is speaking out years later about something horrifying that happened and nobody has the right to discredit that or swoop it under the rug because of who it is. And while we are on this topic, I want to take a moment to talk about Kesha. Most of you listening probably have heard or know about the Kesha versus Dr. Luke legal battle that took place the last few years. Rolling Stone did a brief catch up on it, and I will read it to you guys in case you're confused or didn't know about the case. This was written February 22nd of 2016. It opens up saying, in 2014, Kesha sued producer Dr. Luke, seeking to void all their contracts because of how the suit claimed. Dr. Luke sexually, physically, verbally, and emotionally abused Kesha to the point where she nearly lost her life. Dr. Luke countersued shortly after. The first big decision in these cases came on February 19th when a New York judge denied Kesha a court injunction that would have allowed her to record new music apart from her record label, which was Sony Music, as well as Dr. Luke. While the suits proceeded through the courts, since then, stars such as Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga have shown support for Kesha and fans have taken to the streets, holding rallies outside courtrooms and boardrooms. Then the Rolling Stone wrote about the case saying, filed in California in October 2014, the suit is looking to void Kesha's contracts with Dr. Luke and his business subsidiaries, allow Kesha to work with other labels and publishing units and receive damages. It claims that over the last 10 years leading up to its filing, Dr. Luke had sexually, physically, verbally, and emotionally abused Miss Siebert to the point where Miss Siebert nearly lost her life all the service of his being able to maintain complete control over her life and career. The suit, which can be read in full on Scribed, claims that Ms. Siebert wholly believed that Dr. Luke had the power and money to carry out his threats. She therefore never dared to talk about, let alone report, what Dr. Luke had done to her. It should be noted that in 2011, Kesha testified in a deposition that Gottswald, who is Dr. Luke, had never made advances on her. The suit alleges sexual assault, sexual harassment, gender violence, civil harassment, violation of unfair business laws, infliction of emotional distress, both intentional and negligent, and negligent retention and supervision. Then the article says, how did Dr. Luke respond? In New York in October 2014, Gottwald countersued Kesha and Peeb Siebert and Kesha's representatives at Vector management for defamation and breach of contract, claiming that the false and shocking accusations and Kesha's refusal to record were tantamount to extortion. What's this injunction got to do with it? New York Supreme Court Justice Shirley Cornrich denied an injunction that would have let Kesha record new music for labels that aren't Kimosabi while the details of both lawsuits were being hashed out. There have been no showing of irreparable harm. There's being given an opportunity to record, Cornrich said while handing her decision. Kesha was present for the ruling along with her mother and her boyfriend, and afterward she met with about 50 fans who had assembled outside. Why was the February 19th decision in a New York courtroom? In June, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Barbara Sheeper froze Kesha's lawsuit against Luke, saying that her contracts require any legal disputes arising from them to be resolved in New York. Sheeper noted that there was no evidence to support her assertion that the agreements were not entered into freely or voluntarily as a result of arm's-length negotiations. Cornrich, who had ple- previously said that she was going to wait for the California court's ruling before deciding whether or not to dismiss the case, subsequently decided to hear arguments. 
why can't Sony just terminate Kesha's contract? On February 25th, Sony lawyer Scott Eldsman told the New York Times that the company is not in a position to terminate the contractual relationship between Luke and Kesha because she entered into agreements with Dr. Luke's company, Cash Money, and not Sony itself. Sony is doing everything it can to support the artist in these circumstances, but is legally unable to terminate the contract to which it is not a party, Eldman said. Has Kesha been working on music since she filed the suit? Kesha has played occasional concerts at universities over the past 18 months. In late 2015, she played a show in Nashville with a band of local musicians called Yeast Infection. Don't worry, no one will ever shut me up, she captioned a Facebook video of the show. What has Dr. Luke said? The Monday after Judge Cornrich's verdict, Dr. Luke took to Twitter to make his case. I didn't rape Kesha and I have never had sex with her. Kesha and I were friends for many years and she was like my little sister. He wrote, this is an ongoing legal case, so I won't be responding or talking much about it. This should be tried in a court of law. After Kesha tweeted a thank you note to Lady Gaga and Vice President Joe Biden for bringing attention to sexual assault at the Oscars on Sunday night, Dr. Luke's lawyer, Christian LaPera, told TMZ Miss Siebert, whose sworn videotaped testimony from 2011 stated that she had never been sexually abused or drugged by Dr. Luke and neither a victim nor the appropriate person to be held up to as an example for this important issue. What's next? Judge Cornrich stated in her February 2016 ruling that she was waiting to hear more evidence before outright dismissing the New York case. If it isn't, if it doesn't get dismissed, the next step is a phone conference scheduled for May 5th, which would precede the discovery period during which lawyers for both sides collect evidence. If there are no delays during this period or if the case isn't settled out of court, a trial date will be requested on February 28, 2017. On May 16th, a California judge will hear updates on the case. All I ever wanted was to be able to make music without being afraid, scared, or abused, Kesha wrote on February 24th. This case has never been about renegotiation of my record contract. It was never about getting a bigger or a better deal. This is about being free from my abuser. I'd be willing to work with Sony if they do the right thing and break all ties that bind me to my abuser. Now, there is a lot of moving parts to this Kesha case. I had a friend who was in the NYPD and he was outside the court after one of the trials and he told me that she was so upset and it really broke my heart. If you guys aren't familiar with the Kesha case, please read about it because it is one of the most public displays of a victim who just wanted their life back and the abuser refusing to give up on ruining their life. Kesha has also opened up about anxiety and depression in December of 2016 for Billboard. The entire thing is only available in the magazine format, but there's a short quote she said that they have made available online that says, I've battled a lot of things, including anxiety and depression, says Kesha. Finding the strength to come forward about these things is not easy, but maybe by telling my story, I can help someone else that is going through tough times. She also wrote a short essay for Teen Vogue in May of this year, where she wrote, I've been an outcast ever since I can remember. I grew up in Nashville with a single mom who was oblivious to social norms. She encouraged me to make music, sew my own clothes, and express myself. She told me never to be ashamed of who I was. Other kids didn't know what to make of me. I was often bullied and shamed into hiding the things that made me unique. I remember hanging up the velvet pants I made by hand and asking my mother to take me to the Gap to buy some normal clothes at one point. That experiment failed miserably. It just wasn't me.
When I think about the kind of bullying I dealt with as a child and teen, it seems almost quaint compared to what goes on today. The amount of body shaming and baseless slut shaming online makes me sick. I know from personal experience how comments can mess up somebody's self-confidence and sense of self-worth. I have felt so unlovable after reading cruel words written by strangers who don't know a thing about me. It became a vicious cycle. When I compared myself to others, I would read more mean comments, which only fed my anxiety and depression. Seeing paparazzi photos of myself and the accompanying caddy commentary feel my eating disorder the sick irony was that when i was at some of the lowest points of my life i kept hearing how much better i looked i knew i was destroying my body with my eating disorder but the message i was getting that i was doing great in the past couple of years i've grown up a lot i've realized that once you take the step to help yourself you're going to be happy you did Taking this time to work on yourself requires bravery. Trying to change your life based on other people's thoughts can drive you crazy. You have to figure out what makes you feel good and what keeps you in a positive headspace. This is one reason why I've changed my relationship with my social media. I love it because it's how I communicate with my fans and nothing means more to me than my fans, but too much of it can exasperate my anxiety and depression. This year, I made a pledge to make to take more breaks from social media and screens and spend more time in nature. For me, some of the most therapeutic experiences include hiking up a mountain or riding a bike by the beach. Being among animals in their natural habitats reminds me that my problems are so small. Our lives are no more significant than the lives of other animals. We're all just animals after all. I'm currently writing an album that explores how my vulnerabilities are a strength, not a weakness. With this essay, I want to pass along the message to anyone who struggles with an eating disorder or depression or anxiety or anything else that if you have a physical or emotional scars, don't be ashamed of them because they are part of you. Remember that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and no one can take that magic you make. Another artist who has spoken up about sexual assault is Lady Gaga, who waited seven years to talk about her assault. In December of 2014, Lady Gaga went public about it. I found an article from E! News. The article was talking about her time on Howard Stern. It says, I wrote a song called Swine. The song is about rape. The song is about demoralization. The song is about rage and fury and passion. And I had a lot of pain that I wanted to release. I said to myself, I want to sing this song while I'm ripping hard on a drum kit. And then I wanted to get on a mechanical bull, which is probably one of the most demoralizing things that you can put a female on in her underwear. And I want this chick to throw up on me in front of the world so that I can tell them, you know what? You can never, ever degrade as much as I can degrade myself. And look how beautiful it is when I do. You keep alluding to, were you raped by a record producer, Stern asked? I don't, I don't want to, Gaga replied. Happy times. Let's talk about happy things. Gaga, who was dating Chicago Fire actor Taylor Kinney, replied, I went through some horrific things that I'm able to laugh at now because I've gone through a lot of mental and physical therapy and emotional therapy to heal all over the years. My music's been wonderful for me, but you know, I was a shell of my former self at one point. I was not myself. To be fair, I was about 19. I went to Catholic school and then all this crazy stuff happened. And I was going, oh, this is just the way adults are. I was very naive. Unfortunately, Gaga said, it happens every day and it's really scary and it's sad. It didn't affect me as much right after as it did about four or five years later. It hit me so hard. I was so traumatized by it that I was like, just keep going because I just had to get out of there. In fact, Gaga told Stern and Robin Quivers that she wasn't even willing to admit that anything had ever happened. Why was she so hesitant to address the assault? I don't want to be defined by it. 
I'll be damned if somebody's going to say that every creatively intelligent thing that I have ever done is all boiled down to one dickhead who did this to me, Gaga said. I'm going to take responsibility for all my pain looking beautiful, all the things that I've made out of my strife. I did that. Gaga said she never confronted the man, and if she ever were to run into him again, she isn't sure how she would react. I think it would terrify me. It would paralyze me. I saw him one time in a store and I was so paralyzed by fear, she said, because it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I went, wow, that was really messed up. Gaga said it's especially hard since the man has told people that we used to date. You were 20 years younger than me. I was a kid. How is that a date? Gaga asked. It took me a long time to feel strong about it. Looking back, she said, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't tell anybody and I didn't even tell myself for the longest time. And it was like, like, you know what? All this drinking and all this nonsense, you have to go to the source. Otherwise, it won't just go away. It will not go away. In December 2016, E! News also mentioned Gaga talking about her PTSD from the assault. It says, when the Million Reasons singer recently visited the Ali Forney Center, a shelter for homeless LGBTQ youth located in Harlem, she did so on the behalf of the Share Kindness campaign. Today, an NBC Universal celebration of kind acts, both big and small. Kindness, kindness to me is an action of love or showing of love to someone else, the pop singer said. I also believe that kindness is the cure to violence and hatred around the world. I like to share kindness kindness in a lot of different ways. I love to give things to people that have nothing or less than me. These children are not just homeless or in need. Many of them are trauma survivors. They've been rejected in some kind of way, she said. My own trauma in my life has helped me to understand the trauma of others. Gaga, who revealed in 2014 that she had been raped at age 19, led a brief meditation exercise during her visit. I don't have the same kind of issues that you have, she said, but I have a mental illness and I struggle with that every day, so I need my mantra to help keep me relaxed. Until her visit, Gaga had never spoken publicly about her post-traumatic stress disorder. I told the kids today that I suffer from a mental illness. I suffer from PTSD. I've never told anybody that before, so here we are. The 30-year-old singer revealed, but the kindness that's been shown to me by doctors as well as my family and friends, it's really saved my life. And on a lighter note, and speaking of kindness, on August 4th, Bandcamp was giving 100% of their proceeds to trans rights. For anyone who wants information on where the money went to, AP wrote, the Transgender Law Center is a nonprofit organization that works to change law, policy, and culture, fighting for healthcare for trans veterans, defending incarcerated trans people from abuse in prisons and detention centers, supporting trans immigrants, and helping trans youth tell their stories and build communities. And in really cool news, adding to Bandcamp, MTV is not only bringing back TRL, which I'm super excited about, they are also making their iconic moon man a moon person, thus getting rid of the needless gender that was put on it. Creator Chris McCarthy spoke to the New York Times about TRL and the moon person news. It said, Mr. McCarthy also incorporated TV into the annual movie awards and made the acting categories gender neutral. Likewise, when the Video Music Awards are handed out next month, winners will walk away with a trophy that will now be called the Moon Person, not the Moon Man. Why should it be a man, Mr. McCarthy said. It could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be transgender. It could be nonconformist. Mr. McCarthy is also developing a show called are who we are they a seemingly by the numbers reality show that will focus on young people's coming of age moments going to college first relationships with a twist that all these will be featured gender non-conforming whether these moves come off as pandering or connect with young people remains to be seen now i think it's fucked up to think that anybody doing anything progressive is considered pandering but that's just me good on mtv i totally support this 
Now, on another note, Warp Tour may have come to an end this summer, but the amazing Juliet Sims did have something to say to people who shame the way anybody looks during the summer festival. Alternative Press wrote an article at the beginning of August, and it says, if you've ever been to the Vans Warp Tour, you know how hot, grueling, and insufferable the weather can be. All the time spent on your appearance seems like a wasted effort by the middle of the day when you look like you've taken a shower in your own sweat. Still, there seem to be people out there that believe, despite the conditions, people need to look their absolute best every single day of tour. Juliet Sims had something to say to the haters that continue to make up shame those on Warp Tour. Juliet Sims took to Twitter this morning to give her insight on just how difficult it is for artists and crew members on tour to continue to look their best. She said, if you've never been on Warp Tour as a traveling artist or crew member, you cannot comprehend how hard it is to look your best. You know how you are, you know who you are, quit makeup shaming and clothes shaming that are out th- out here on one of the dirtiest, hottest, grimiest tours around. To judge others is to judge yourself. It costs nothing to be a kind person, but everything to tear someone down. Nylon just did an article this month about Mel B of the Spice Girls and talked about why victims should have to pay their abusers. The article is pretty long, but it starts off by telling people what happened to even begin with. It says, in April, singer and television personality Melanie Mel B. Brown filed a restraining order against her husband, Stephen Belafonte. The order claimed that during the course of their 10-year marriage, Belafonte physically abused her to the point of hospitalization, impregnated their nanny, recorded their sexual encounters without her knowledge, and then blackmailed her with the videos. Fast forward a few months to July, and a California judge ordered Mel B. to pay $40,000 a month in temporary spousal support and $140,000 thousand dollars for Belafonte's attorney fees. Although the judgment is likely temporary until the abuse case is settled, this isn't the first time a high profile woman has had to pay her abuser. Tina Turner famously gave up her studio, parts of her publishing companies, cars, and real estate to her lifelong abuser and husband Ike Turner in exchange for her peace of mind. Even among non-celebrities it's an issue. In 2012, a San Diego woman named Crystal Harris made headlines after she was ordered to pay her husband alimony after he had been convicted of sexually assaulting her. Jeff Landers, a divorce attorney who specializes in representing women who are going through financially complex divorces, says it's bad enough to be abused and humiliated. The ultimate insult is that now you have to pay your abuser alimony. There are instances in which the evidence is such that a judge may not require an abused, wealthier spouse to pay alimony, but often it's two separate issues. In the mind of the courts, the abuse has nothing to do with the unwinding your marriage partnership financially. Now, I'm recording this episode on Saturday, August 11th, where a lot of stuff is happening, such as the Charlottesville Tiki Torch White Supremacist Rally, where a bunch of artists have spoken up about it, including Haley Williams, Lynn Gunn, and Pete Wentz, just to name a few. I don't want to end this episode on a really sad note, so I won't get into it, but it's safe to say the world's scariest issue wasn't socialism. And I hope that people who shit on Bernie Sanders now see that. (laughs) I had a lot more for this episode, but the Taylor Swift case has gained more and more traction, and I have added more and more to keep up with it until I sat down to record. I will continue to update on it either in another episode or if you guys follow me on Twitter, I am completely active all the time. I'm always tweeting about current events and everything like that. So I do retweet as things come about like the Taylor Swift case and things of that nature. 
Now, to actually end this episode, I have for you guys a band from Florida named Boston Marriage. They have a really cool sound that makes you feel as if you're dreaming, but also makes you listen really closely to everything going on. The vocals are super impressive, and I hope they play New York soon because I would love to catch them. The song I have today is from their 2017 EP, Personal Space, and the song is called Broke Down Boat. Thankfully, that's all I'm going to report today, and I'm so sorry if this episode was such a downer. This world we live in right now is full of sadness and hatred, and I hope one day it gets better soon. If you guys want to find me, I am on Twitter under Rebel Hearts Girl, Facebook.com slash Rebel Hearts Podcast, and Instagram is Sam is Socks. You guys can always email me at rebelheartspodcast at gmail.com. And I also now have an Etsy shop just for the zines. It's on the main SoundCloud page if you guys want to click the link, but I think it's just Etsy. Uh, dot com slash shop slash rebel hearts goods but just look for rebel hearts goods and it should come up i'll update you guys on twitter with the taylor swift case but for now i will see you at the front and here is boston marriage (laughs) 